0: This is Dr. Samantha Shapiro, Executive Editor of Harrison's Principles of Internal Medicine. Harrison's Podclass is brought to you by McGraw-Hills Access Medicine, the online medical resource that delivers the latest trusted content from the best minds in medicine. And now, on to the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Harrison's Podcast. We're your co-hosts. I'm Dr. Kathy Handy.
1: And I'm Dr. Charlie Weiner, and we're joining you from the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. Welcome to episode 114, a 64-year-old with a swollen, tender knee. Kathy, today's patient is a 64-year-old man with a history of hypertension, hyperlipidemia, type 2 diabetes, and mild renal impairment. He presents today with a swollen, red, tender left knee. He reports that he went to bed feeling well, and he woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning with his knee starting to hurt and it has progressed with pain throughout the morning. He denies any recent trauma, night sweats, or other systemic symptoms, and says the only change in his lifestyle is with the improving weather he's been taking a daily five to 7,000-step walk with his wife. His medications include lisinopril, hydrochlorothiazide, atorvastatin, and metformin. His vitals are only notable for a low-grade fever and resting tachycardia. His left knee is clearly swollen with an effusion, It's red, and it's very tender to palpation. In fact, any movement causes excruciating pain. The rest of his joints appear totally normal.
0: All right, let's stop here and then discuss some initial thoughts. So this man has an acute onset of monoarticular arthritis and has risk factors really for gout and pseudogout. I'd also include an infectious arthritis just on my differential of monoarticular arthritis, especially given the degree of inflammation, but he has no apparent risk factors for bacteremia.
1: Why do you say as risk factors for gout and pseudogout?
0: Well, gout is a disease of hyperuricemia with urate crystals precipitating in the joint fluid. It typically occurs in late middle age to elderly men. Women are afflicted less frequently and are almost always postmenopausal. Diabetes, hypertension, and renal insufficiency are all risk factors. And I'd also add that urate-rich meals, alcohol consumption, or volume depletion can provoke a flare. And maybe his recent walks in warm weather may be a factor in contributing to some of the volume depletion.
1: So you mentioned gout, but what about pseudogout?
0: Remember, pseudogout is also a joint crystalline disease, but instead of urate crystals, these patients have calcium pyrophosphate crystals. Pseudogout typically occurs in older patients above 70, often with a history of um, pre existing joint disease, such as osteoarthritis or trauma or even gout. Disorders of magnesium, calcium, and phosphate, such as parathyroid disease, can also be precipitating factors.
1: So they present similarly?
0: Well, the initial presentation of gout occurs in the big toe 70 to 90% of the time, but it can also affect the ankles and knees initially. Chronic gout can affect pretty much all of the joints. Pseudogout typically occurs in the knee, the wrists, and then the larger joints.
1: Okay, so this patient with an acutely inflamed knee could have either.
0: Yes, so we'll need to aspirate some fluid and send blood studies.
1: Okay, well, turns out the fluid aspirate from his knee yields a white blood cell count of 10,000 with 95% neutrophils. The gram stain is negative. Polarized light microscopy shows extracellular and intracellular needle-shaped crystals that are strongly negatively birefringent under polarized microscopy. Additionally, his serum urate is elevated to 9 milligrams per deciliter.
0: So the fluid that you described is diagnostic of, of gout. So that's the diagnosis here. I do want to note that while this patient's serum urate is elevated, serum urate levels can be normal or low at the time of an acute flare. And that's because inflammatory cytokines such as IL-6 can have uricoceric properties and can lower the level by about 2 milligrams per deciliter. So if you suspect acute gout, and don't let a normal serum uri level dissuade you from that diagnosis.
1: Now, what would this fluid have shown if this were pseudogout?
0: The crystals would be rectangular or rhomboid shaped and be weakly positive or non birefringent under polarized microscopy.
1: Okay, well, let's finally get to the question. The question asks... For this patient, all of the following are reasonable initial therapies except for A, allopurinol, B, colchicine, C, naproxen, D, prednisone, and E, rest and ice.
0: The answer is A, allopurinol. So things like ice and rest can provide some initial relief, but the mainstay of acute gout care is the administration of anti-inflammatory drugs such as non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs or NSAIDs colchicine, and glucocorticoids. So a lot has to do with the specific patient in terms of their comorbidities, the concurrent meds that they're on, and prior history. But early initiation of anti-inflammatories helps abort or reduce the severity of flares.
1: So this is our patient's first episode of gout. What are you thinking for this guy?
0: NSAIDs in full anti-inflammatory doses, such as naproxen, are used most often in individuals without any complicating comorbidities. This man has only mild renal insufficiency, so I'd make sure he's well hydrated and give him about an naproxen 500 milligrams twice a day. Or you could also consider colchicine, which is particularly effective if used early in a gout flare. You do have to be careful with colchicine in patients with renal failure, liver failure, or if they're on CYP3A4 inhibitors, such as clarithromycin or tacrolimus.
1: The question also mentioned uh, corticosteroids. What about prednisone or another corticosteroid?
0: Prednisone 30 to 50 milligrams a day initially and then tapered are effective even in polyarticular gout. For a single joint or a few involved joints, intraarticular glucocorticoid injection is also effective and well-tolerated.
1: Okay, so tell me why allopurinol should not be indicated in this patient.
0: It's not indicated during the acute attack because rapid lowering of serum urate may provoke or exacerbate an acute attack but a urate lowering agent may be essential to controlling him long-term and can be started after the flare subsides.
1: Explain that a little bit more if you don't mind.
0: So ultimate control of gout requires correction of the underlying chronic hyperuricemia, which is really the central cause for gout. Attempts to normalize serum urate to a subsaturation point of 5 to 6 milligrams per deciliter to prevent recurrent gout flares and eliminate TOFI are critical and entail a commitment to urate-lowering regimens that are required usually for life. So urate-lowering drug therapy should be considered when, which is in most patients, the hyperuricemia cannot be corrected by risk factor interventions Some of that would include control of body weight, a healthy diet, limitation of alcohol use, and then decreased consumption of fructose-rich foods and beverages, and then avoidance of thiazide and loop diuretics. The decision to initiate urate-lowering drug therapy usually is made considering the number of gout flares. Urate-lowering may be cost-effective with more than two attacks yearly, and the severity and duration of flares, the quality of life, or the patient's willingness to commit to lifelong therapy. Urate-lowering therapy should be initiated in any patient who already has subcutaneous tophi or or chronic gouty arthritis or known uric acid stones.
1: So in this man, it sounds like a discussion and whether he needs his diuretics, which I suspect he does given his comorbidities. We've already mentioned that allopurinol is one uric-lowering agent. Are there any other agents that are available?
0: Yeah, allopurinol is a xanthine oxidase inhibitor in his first-line therapy. And it should be administered chronically to achieve a goal serum urate of uh, less than 5 to 6 milligrams per deciliter. Starting at a low dose and titrating up reduces the risk of severe cutaneous adverse reactions, such as Stevens-Johnson syndrome and toxic epidermal necrolysis. Also, it's renally cleared, so it has to be dose-adjusted in patients with renal impairment. Febuxostat is a newer xanthine oxidase inhibitor that is predominantly metabolized in the liver and should not require dose adjustment in moderate to severe chronic kidney disease.
1: Great. So the teaching points in today's case are that gout and pseudogout can both present with an acute monoarticular inflamed joint. The distinction between the two is best made by analysis of the joint fluid under polarized light microscopy. Treatment of an acute gout flare is based on reducing inflammation first and foremost Eventually, lowering the serum urate levels with a f- lifestyle or pharmacologic interventions is also important to avoid future attacks.
0: And you can learn more about this in the Harrison's chapter on gout and other crystal-associated arthropathies. Thanks for listening to Harrison's Pod Class. You can listen to this episode and more on accessmedicine.com, which includes the complete Harrison's Principles of Internal Medicine text... Harrison's review questions, which complement and expand upon the questions in this episode, and much more. Accessmedicine.com may already be available to you via your academic institution. Check it out.